again. Thanks, Tyler and worship team. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'll take that out, we're going to be looking at a number of verses. If you don't have one, our ushers are coming at this time, and we'll be happy to give you a Bible. Just raise your hand, or you can borrow it, or you can keep it. We'd love for you to start reading from the Bible. One of the things that we believe at Bible Fellowship is that the Bible's the Word of God. Now, I didn't grow up really thinking about that. I didn't attend a church where people brought their Bibles. So for some of you, that might be a little new. But I want to encourage you that the Bible has very, very relevant information about where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. And so we're doing a short series called What We Believe. And the question that we want to answer this morning is, what does the Bible teach about this subject? Brian, it's... Hang on, let me try again here. Okay. What happens when I die? Can you, let me back up one. What happens when I die? Now, if, if we were to ask a survey, you know, you could stand in the mall and ask people, you'd probably get a hundred different answers. You know, I believe you cease to exist. If you ask the Hindu, reincarnation, all kinds of different things. But what we want to look at is, what does the Bible say? Now, for some of you, you may, you may find this a little bit like, wait, who, how dare you say that? But understand that we're answering the question, what does the Bible say? So... While there are many people today who would say, oh, I, I don't think God would ever put anyone in hell, and I don't know if there's really a heaven, let's look at the Word of God, and I want to urge you, if, if you go to a church or don't attend church where they're teaching otherwise, that you would at least explore and read your Bible and say, hey, listen, is this what the Bible says? And if it is, if that's the truth, then some of you really need to make some significant changes in your faith and what you think. And then those of us who are Christians, we ought to be able to answer questions. What does the Bible say? So I'm going to share a number of verses. You're welcome to write these down. Don't take my word for it. Don't go, oh, this is what we believe because my pastor said it. Look these verses up and really think about, if this is what the Bible says, then it makes a difference. So would you pray with me and then we'll, 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 we'll start. Lord, thank you that the Bible is the word of God. It's powerful. It's living and your Holy Spirit has chosen to use the Bible to transform lives. You changed my life through the Bible, and I know that you're changing others. We're growing and learning, Jesus, because you're revealing yourself to us through the Bible and the Spirit. So bless your word today and help us to have a great Father's Day as we, as we just are so grateful that you revealed to us what happens when we die. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Bible teaches that we are composed of two parts, an outer man and an inner man. You know, people have different terms to, to talk about your inner man. The Bible does distinguish between our spirit and our soul. But when it talks about our inner man, sometimes it'll say your soul departs from your body or your spirit departs from your body. But we're more than just a physical body. There's something on the inside. So the moment that you die, according to the Bible, your inner person leaves your body. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this comes judgment. So, if you're wondering, what would happen if I were to die today? You would leave your body, and you would stand at a judgment. You say, well, what happens next? Well, I want to talk about what theologians often call the intermediate state. This is before the Lord returns. Everyone who dies, they leave their body, and they experience a judgment in which they go to what's called an intermediate state. It's a temporary period of time in which the spirits, the inner person of dead people, now notice, they consciously await the resurrection of the body and the final judgment. Okay, so this is not 
permanent. This is the temporary intermediate state. All right, so you go, all right, so wait a minute. So you're saying if I were to die right now, I go before Jesus, and then my spirit goes somewhere, right? So if you're a believer, your spirit enters into a place of joyful rest in the presence of Christ, okay? Now, this isn't everybody, so it's very uncomfortable at times when I know someone was not a Christ follower, and they'll come up to me and say, oh, well, at least we know, you know, Barry or Joey or Lily's in a better place. Well, if they're not a Christ follower, if they're not a believer, the Bible doesn't say everyone goes to a better place. But what does this place look like? What, or, or what, what, why do we believe this? Why do Christians believe that we go to a, a better place? Well, this is what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul said, we are of good courage and we know that while we're at home in this body, right now while we're on earth, we're in our physical body, we're absent from the Lord. God is in heaven right now. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And then he says this, but we're of good courage and we prefer, now think about this, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So if a believer dies, immediately you leave your body and you go to be with the Lord. Now, if you believe that, if you believe that when you die and you're forgiven of your sins, you're going to be with the Lord, while you're still here, it's going to affect how you live your life. Paul says, therefore, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. So the idea would be, when I have to make a decision, is this right or wrong? It's not about what, the, what will so-and-so think or will I get caught? It's, would this be pleasing to Jesus? After all, he died for me. So we go to this place where we're at home with the Lord. Well, What's it like? Well, when, when the Apostle Paul was in prison, he thought he might die. And so he knew that he was going to stand before Caesar. And, and there was a chance that Caesar would say to him, either you renounce being a Christian or you're going to be executed. And so Paul didn't say, oh, then I changed my mind. He said, this is my earnest expectation and hope. I won't be put to shame in anything. But with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I pray this, because I, I don't know, but there may come a time where, what if you were put on the spot and said, are you a Christian or not? You and I should pray that Christ will be exalted in our body, that we will not shrink at shame and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I deny that. You see, we're like magnifying glasses. We have the opportunity to let Christ be seen through us. If you're a believer, you can exalt Christ in your body. Well, how? Well, Paul says this in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die. Now, look at this phrase, to die is gain. Well, the world doesn't think that. The world thinks to die is awful. It's the end. It's hopeless. But the Bible says to die is gain. In fact, I know of a Christian once had a gun pulled on him. He said, you can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> to die is gain. Paul says, but if I am to live in the flesh, in other words, if, you're, if I'm not going to die yet, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. So each day that we're still on earth, before we die as a Christian, God has something for us to do. Fruitful labor, loving our children, loving our spouses, serving him, doing our job. But Paul, as he continued to think about this, look what he said. He said in the next verse, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that's far better Notice, it's not just a lateral move. Well, oh, you know, I'm going to die. No, it's far better. So if you've lost a loved one and they were a Christian, you don't need to cry for them. 
they are in a far better place of joyful rest. But each day that we're still on the earth, again, Paul comes back to that. To remain on the flesh is more necessary. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. So somebody once asked me this. Why doesn't God take us right home when we become saved? Because right now we're here to be a blessing to others, to exalt Christ, so that others can make progress and have joy in their faith. It's a whole different way to live. I'm not here for my happiness and my indulgence. I'm here to be a blessing to others, to help them to to know Jesus, to grow in their walk with the Lord. So, with that in mind, what are those people doing up there with Jesus? Well, John in the book of Revelation, describes seeing the souls of believers in the intermediate state. He says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. These are called martyrs. Maybe you were following the the young girl that was shot in Florida. There's been some discussion as to whether or not the man who killed her was because she was a Christian. Anyone who dies for their faith, we would call them a martyr. Now notice, these martyrs are in heaven, they're with Christ, which is far better, but they're not fully satisfied. They cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There's a sense in which the end is not quite yet. They're not complete. And this answers an interesting question, and that is, do people who have gone to be with the Lord know what's going on on earth? Well, they knew something. They knew that the Lord had not returned yet to judge all of the unbelievers. Now, does this mean that Aunt Betty, who's with Christ, can see me personally? We don't know that. The Bible doesn't really tell us that. But what we do know is the people in heaven have joy and rest and peace with Christ. But they're not fully completed yet. We weren't created to live as floating spirits up in heaven. That's just temporary. Somebody might say, well, where do you get the idea that we're going to float around with robes on? Because the Bible says that. It says there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. And the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Notice, it's a joyful place of rest. Now, I want to throw out here real quick just the idea of what does it mean to be retired? Now, you can retire from your work, but your real rest isn't until we die. Don't stop working for the Lord or serving Him. The Bible says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They have entered their rest. So for believers, this is joyful rest in the presence of Christ. Some of you are grieving because you've lost a spouse, lost a child. If they're a Christian, don't grieve for them. They're in a better place. But what about an unbeliever? What if someone dies today without Christ? What's the intermediate state look like for them? Well, Jesus talked about this when Jesus was on earth. He said, there was a certain rich man who who lived an indulgent life. He was godless. And we know that because this rich man had a poor man that used to beg at his house and he wouldn't even help him. He had so much food and lived luxuriously. And this is often the mark of people without God in their lives. They don't care about others. There's no compassion for others. They're like, it's my stuff. Remember hearing Charles Barkley once say, yeah, I lose millions of dollars in gambling, but it's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. Well, 
Jesus said the poor man died, and the poor man was a believer, so he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, this intermediate state of comfort. But the rich man also died. And while his body was buried, look what it says. In Hades, that's the Greek word for hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. So people who die without Christ, immediately their souls go to a place called Hades, which is a place of torment. And it's not fun. Verse 24 says, he cried out, have mercy. Dip his finger in water, cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this flame. Now this is not popular. It's not fun. For some of you, you're like, what kind of a God would do this? But, but there's a lot about God that, that people don't read their Bibles. They just, they just look at one angle of them. Oh, my God's a God of love. He is, but God's holy. And he's just. And he's the creator of heaven and earth. And he demands obedience. And he has laws that he doesn't alter. And there's a penalty for living without God in your life. It's eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. God doesn't want anybody to, to be in agony in the flame. That's why he sent Jesus. The Bible says Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world. He didn't come to throw everyone in hell. He came to die on the cross so that the world through him would be saved. So people who end up in hell, it's their fault. But there are two non-scriptural views of the intermediate state I want to mention. The first one's called soul sleep. Because the Bible uses the word sleep to describe death, the Seventh-day Adventists believe that when you die, your body and soul go to sleep. And so you're just in an unconscious period of sleep until the resurrection. Well, the reason I call it non-scriptural is we just saw. The Bible says when you die, you're absent from the body. You're present with the Lord. So, so they're mistaking the metaphor of sleep. Just like when someone, when we say, passed away. It's just a metaphor. We don't mean they, they literally, you know, passed away. They, they left their body. So I don't think soul sleep is biblical. But the other one, and some of you may even believe this, is purgatory. If you're from a Roman Catholic background or you have loved ones, they teach that when, when a believer dies, they go to a place called purgatory. And purgatory is a, is a temporary place where you purge away your sins for a time, and then eventually you go to be with the Lord. You say, well, well, that's what I was taught. Well, I want to encourage you to think about this. You won't find purgatory in the Bible. You say, well, where did it come from? Well, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, and I want to encourage you, I'm not criticizing. There are many liberal churches. This isn't picking on any denomination. But they believe, the Roman Catholic Church believes, that the tradition of the church is as authoritative in the, as the Bible. So if the Pope teaches something, then that's true. So, years into Christianity, the Roman Catholic Church began to teach purgatory. And in the 1500s, in Germany, there was a campaign to raise a lot of money, and so they began to offer what was called indulgences. So, Catholic priests would travel through Germany into the villages and tell people, if you give money to the church you can get your loved ones out of purgatory faster. Well, Martin Luther, a young Catholic priest, as he was studying the Bible, he began to think to himself, that's not what the Bible says. There's no such thing as purgatory. And so he began to protest against this idea of 
paying for indulgences to get loved ones out of purgatory. Which, by the way, still being taught. They don't call it indulgences, but you can pay the church to hold a mass to pray for your dead loved ones. And if you're listening carefully, if you go to a Roman Catholic funeral, they're praying for the dead. Now, again, this wasn't taught in the Bible, and that was one of Luther's contentions. And by the way, he was a Catholic priest, so he wasn't standing on the outside attacking. He was on the inside going, wait a minute. But because the Roman Catholic Church believes that what the Pope says becomes authoritative, in the 1500s, they added books to the Bible. And this is why if, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, your Bible will have an additional set of books called the Apocryphal Books. But I want to encourage you to consider that they were not added to the Bible until the 1500s. They were not considered, even by the Catholic Church, to be Scripture. But when they added them, when people began to say, purgatory is not in the Bible, they now could say, yes, it is. Because our Bible has two books in it called First and Second Maccabees. And the doctrine of purgatory was developed from the book of Second Maccabees. So I'm going to show you the passage that they, that they used. Now remember, Maccabees was not considered inspired scripture until the 1500s. But the other reason why I don't consider it inspired scripture is because it contradicts what the Bible says. But at least you'll know why they believe in purgatory. So this passage tells about a man named Judas. Look at verse 42. The noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who fallen. Now notice. Then he took up a collection among all the soldiers, amounting to 2,000 silver drachmas, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for a sacrifice. So already I would say, listen, where in the Bible would you get the idea that you, you can pay money to provide for a sacrifice for your sins? But notice the next part of this passage. In doing this, he acted in an excellent and noble way, and as much as he had the resurrection in mind, if he were not expecting the fall and to rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish. Now here's the phrase, to pray for the dead. So if you're from a Roman Catholic church, they're going to teach you that when someone dies, you should pray for them. Pray for them to get out of purgatory. And I've had people say to me, hey, would you pray for my brother? He died. And I said, listen. I said, it's nothing personal, but I, I believe the Bible's the word of God. And, and I see nothing in scripture that teaches us to pray for the dead. In fact, what, what I would suggest is that the idea of purgatory while it may be well, well intended, it discredits and dishonors the work of Christ on the cross. For when Jesus hung on the cross as the Lamb of God, he said, it is finished. Now I want you to think about that. What is finished? Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sins. If I believe that I have to go to purgatory, what I'm really saying is, it's not finished. Jesus, give me a pound. You did your part, and I'll do mine. I remember talking to a man after I preached at a funeral once, and, and I asked him, he was Roman Catholic, and I said, if you were to die, what, do you think God would let you into heaven? He said, yes, because I believe that Jesus died for me. I don't believe it's by my works. I believe it's by Christ dying for my sins. And I thought, wow, he's a believer. He understands it. But then I asked him a question. Do you think you'll go to purgatory? He said, of course I'll go to purgatory. I said, well, why would you go to purgatory? And he said, 
Well, because I'm not pure enough to go into heaven. Well, do you understand what's going on there? If you believe that somehow you have to purge for a while from your sins, then you don't understand the gospel. There's no place in the Bible that, that somehow you and I contribute to what Christ did. Jesus paid it all. You don't have to be afraid of purgatory. You don't have to be afraid of going to hell. If you come to Jesus, he finished that. And so if you have people that say, oh, I'll pray for somebody to get out of purgatory, I, I just gently say, listen, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. But I want you to be familiar with what we believe and why, and, and not arrogant or proud or, or divisive, but I think that's great news. I don't have to be afraid that somehow when I die, I have to purge away my sins. Hebrews chapter 1 says, this man, Jesus, after he had made one sacrifice, he purged our sins and he sat down forever at the right hand of God. This is a great hope that Jesus died to save me. I don't have to try to help. In fact, to try to help is to say to God, Jesus didn't do enough. So, what happens after the intermediate state? Well, some theologians refer to that second stage of, of what happens as the eternal state. So right now, there are a whole lot of souls who are believers who are with Christ. There are also a whole lot of souls who are in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, when the Lord returns, though, there's going to be a great resurrection of everyone who's ever died. All the dead, great and small, from Adam to the moment Christ returns will be resurrected. Now, think of the implications. That means souls who, are, souls who are up with the Lord will be returning and reunited with their resurrected bodies. Souls who are in hell will be returned and reunited to their resurrected bodies. And then they will be judged permanently. Well, how do we know that? Well, this is what the Bible says. And we're going to look at this. Dead believers will be raised and together with living believers receive an indestructible. And you're like, Pastor Tom, this is a little overkill. It's enough adjectives. Indestructible, powerful, transformed, glorious, sinless, conformed to the image of Christ. While it might seem like overkill, these are all terms that the Bible uses to describe our permanent state. So it's not technically correct to say, oh, I can't wait to go to heaven and just float around like an angel. No, you're going to... Your ultimate goal as a Christian is we're going to be resurrected with glorious, perfect, sinless bodies conformed to the image of Christ. And I'm going to give you a couple passages, and we'll talk briefly about them. The first one is in Philippians 3. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. The other day I met a young lady from Africa. I said, where are you from, Nigeria? Nope. I said, Liberia? Yep. Where's your citizenship? Well, if you're a Christian, it's heaven. This world's not our home, and we're waiting for the Lord Jesus. And what's he going to do when he comes, verse 21? He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How's he going to do that? By the exertion of the power he has to subject all things to himself. Jesus is Lord, and when he comes back, he's not going to stutter. Every knee will bow, and if you're a follower of Christ, a believer, you're going to get a glorious new body. Here's another passage we can look at. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, when Jesus appears, look at, look at the end of the verse, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. We're going to be transformed. So Paul described the resurrection body. When we die, we, we go into the grave. It's sown a partial body, but it's raised imperishable. 
It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown natural. It's raised spiritual. But you're going to have real bones and flesh. You're going to eat. And you're going to dwell on this earth. We'll skip to the... You can read this passage. But I want to start in verse 50. But what if I'm still alive? What if Christ comes today? Look what it says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, not all of us will die. Some of us will, will get to, to miss death. I'm okay with that. Anybody else? Like that's, you know, if that happens to be our portion. Even though we will not all sleep, we will all be changed. <clears throat> By the way, some churches put that in their nursery. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed. That's not talking about babies. It's talking about when Jesus comes back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. So, my mom, who's with the Lord, bam, she will come back and be raised and reunited. And then we who are alive will be changed. Paul tells us in Thessalonians that we'll be caught up to meet the Lord. But Paul tells us this will be putting on of the imperishable body. Now, let's keep going here because we then want to answer the question, what else happens when we're resurrected? So we receive this glorious new body, but then the Lord Jesus in his mercy and grace, if you're a Christian, he will grant rewards for our faithful service to Christ. So this is one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus invites us to live our lives no longer for ourselves, but for him. Now, ultimately, the greatest reason to live for the Lord is because you're responding with gratitude to his love. See, some people say, you can't tell them they're forgiven, they'll go out and live like the devil. And I'm going, really? If I believe the, the Lamb of God died for my sins to save me from hell, am I going to go out and live like the devil and spit in his face? But one of the mercies of the Lord Jesus is that when we do things for him, the Bible says he's going to reward us. So when you reach into your pocket and pull out a tired dollar, George Washington's blinking because he hasn't seen light, you're so stingy with your money. Listen, if that's why you're doing it, you're not going to receive rewards. But when you generously by faith give to the Lord... You're laying up treasures that the Lord will reward us for. When you make decisions that are going to affect what you do with your comfort and your recreation, things of, that you're going to serve the Lord, the Bible tells us that, that we will be rewarded for our work. Immanuel Kant, a, a famous philosopher, he once said that it's wrong to do things for rewards. And I want to say, Immanuel Kant was wrong. Jesus taught. And told us that he will reward us. He told us to lay up our treasures in heaven. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one of us will be recompensed. All believers will stand before Jesus. Now, there's no condemnation. If you're a believer, he's not going to throw you in hell. But I will say this. And this is something for you and me to think about. If Jesus comes back and you haven't been living for him. It's not going to be a glad moment. You're like, what? How will it not be a glad moment? Well, look at this verse. The Apostle John. Now, this is for Christians. This is for given followers of Jesus. If you're saved this morning, look at this verse. Now, children, abide in him. Now, what that means is to trust and obey him. Live your life for Jesus. If you're not doing that and you're a Christian, it says abide in him. Live for Jesus so that when he appears, we may have confidence 
See, if you're living for Jesus, you're going to be glad to see him. But if you're a Christian and you're not living for Jesus, you're going to be sad to see him. Because you're going to shrink away, or I would shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Now, this is talking to Christians. This isn't about getting thrown in hell. You're not going to go to hell. But doesn't it make sense if your parents gave you some responsibilities and they come home and you're doing the exact opposite and you're embarrassed and there's broken hearts and sorrow? But if you've, if you've done what, what your parents ask you to do, you're, excited, you're, you're longing to see them, that you might show them your love for them because you've been living for them. So this is a great reminder to go, you know what? Some of you, and, and myself included, it's so easy for our hearts to wander. We just live for ourselves. I encourage you to re- recalculate and ask yourself, are there things in my life that the Lord doesn't want? I'm wasting my life. Even if it's just stupid stuff like hours and hours on Facebook. It's not wicked, but it's certainly not fruitful. It's not living for the Lord. If we only got our face in this book more. So John says, watch yourself so that you don't lose what we've accomplished, that you may, may receive a full reward. So if your heart has been wandering for the Lord, you haven't been living for him, he loves you. Come back to him. Start to live for him. Devote yourself to your marriage, to your children, to your church. Just show up once in a while. Live and serve and and give your life to Christ because of all that he's done for you. And you and I will receive a reward. But thirdly, we have to ask the question, well, where are we going to be? When I'm resurrected and I I get this glorious new body and and the Lord gives me rewards, where will I be? Well, we're not going to be in heaven. You're like, Pastor Tom, I thought I'd go to heaven forever. Nope. You go to earth forever. Because when the Lord comes back, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. When I first saw that, I'm like, wait, deep sea fishing, tuna, no. But then as I studied, I realized it doesn't say there's no longer any water. The new heaven and new earth has no sea. Because in Scripture, the sea is symbolic of of turbulence. It's not peace. So there will be water, just no frothing, foaming, flooding sea. And then John says, I I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. See, heaven's going to come to earth. And God's going to come to earth in a visible way. When God first created man on the earth, it was his desire to dwell with Adam in a visible fellowship with this triune God. But when Adam sinned, our sin separated us from God, and God took heaven up to heaven. But when he comes back, he's going to bring heaven back to a new heaven and a new earth, the way it was meant to be for all eternity. Now, don't assume that you're going to be there if you're not a Christ follower. But if you're a believer, this is what you and I have to look forward to. John says, I heard a loud voice say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. God himself, the triune, awesome God that we sing about, that we love, that we can't see, will see him, and will worship him, and will love him. And he'll wipe away the tears from our eyes, and there will be no longer any death. So we won't have to go, oh, are my children going to die? Am I going to die? Nothing. Gone. There will be no longer any mourning. Many of you are here this morning with a broken heart. You've lost a loved one. You're depressed. You're fearful. You're anxious. You're experiencing crying and pain. And somehow you feel that, 
Why am I going through this? It's because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And while we're in this world, we're going to have pain. We're going to have sorrow. We're going to have grief. We're going to have mourning, but it's only temporary. And he who sits on the throne says, I will make all things new. You say, well, what are we going to do? Just stand there and play harps all day? No, we're not going to stand around playing harps. Apostle John says, we'll be before the throne of God and we'll serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over him. They won't hunger or thirst. The sun won't be down on them. Look, the lamb, we'll see Jesus, the lamb in the center of the throne. He'll be our shepherd. He'll guide us to springs of the water of life. So we're going to spend eternity with God in resurrected bodies. There's no more rebellion. The devil's in the lake of fire. And for all eternity, we'll worship and serve God in this beautiful place called the new heavens and the new earth. That's the good news. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants, again, they will serve him. We'll see his face. But what about the dead? Dead unbelievers will be raised, and together with living unbelievers, they also will receive a body. So right now, if, if a person dies and they're not a Christian, they're in hell, but only in their soul. And you're like, how can a soul burn in hell? It's a lot of things I don't understand. But if that's what the Bible says, they'll be resurrected, and they'll receive a body, and then they will be cast into a lake of fire where they'll endure conscious eternal torment. Now, one of the reasons I'm preaching on this is because we need to know what the Bible says, and we need to say, listen, regardless of what our culture says, if this is what the Bible says, we're not going to back down or compromise or, or, or change it. This idea that God would never put anyone in hell, well, that, that's not what the Bible says. God doesn't want people in hell, but look at this passage John describes a future day. He says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. That's God. From whose face earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. See, everyone who ever lived on this earth will stand before this great white throne of God. And look what it says. Books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And we'll come back to that. But then the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books. According to their deeds. Now, I want you to think about this. Are you ready to stand before God and he pulls your book off the shelf and one by one you go through your deeds? How sad and, and fearful there are so many people who think, yeah, I think I'm in heaven. I'm a good person. Really? When the books are open and God exposes the secret things of your heart and you're ready to Tell him why you should be in heaven because of your deeds. So, well, that's kind of, it ought to be scary. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Well, what if someone was eaten by sharks, Pastor Tom, and their arms in the Atlantic and their foots in the Pacific? Don't worry about it. God's not going to go, oh, Mr. Potato Head, I don't know where I is here. <laughs> Listen, God is God. He'll bring them back from the dead. And everyone is judged according to their deeds. Now, the scary thing is, is millions of Americans think they're ready for that. Yeah, I think I'm, I did more good than bad. Try that at court. 
show up with one ticket and say, I work at the nursing home as a volunteer. The judge is going to go, you have a debt to pay. Then death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, if you're still with me, one question every single one of us ought to be asking is, is my name in the book of life? How do I know if my name's in the book of life? I don't want to get there and find out my name's not in the book of life. Well, the Bible tells us the way by which you have your name in the book of life is if you come to Jesus in faith and you commit your life to him and you trust him as your Lord and Savior. And the moment you do that, he forgives you of your sins. Your name's not in the book of life because you're a good person. Your name gets in the book of life because you're forgiven. Jesus Christ becomes your personal Lord and Savior. You're not trusting in your church to get you to heaven. You're not trusting in your good works to get you to heaven. You're trusting in Christ alone. And the moment you do that, you're forgiven. The Bible says these things have been written that you might know that you have eternal life. If you're not sure, make sure this morning that you come to Jesus, his way, by faith and receive his gift and know with confidence so that you can sing, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. If you're not sure that your name's in the book of life, come to Christ, receive him into your life by faith and he'll give you that peace. And if you're doubting or troubling, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but God wants you to trust his promises. But I want to talk about this idea of being in hell forever because there's two false teachings that people are proposing today, even among Christians. One is that, is that we don't stay in hell forever. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, it's better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell where there's unquenchable fire, unquenchable fire. So when people say, oh, I don't think you stay in hell forever, Maybe you just go to purgatory for a while. These will pay the penalty. When Jesus comes back, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Not temporary. Not purgatory. Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Well, it can't be forever. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. You say, well, that's not what I believe. Well, if I was you, I'd change your mind. Why? Because I said it? No, because the Bible says it. And if somebody says, you know, oh, that's stupid, I don't. You say, hey, you say what you want. I believe what the Bible says. Here it is. Write it down. Revelation 14, 11. Why would God do that? Well, I don't understand completely, but it, it helps me to understand one thing. Rebellion and sin offends God a lot more than we think. And it deserves a greater punishment than we might think. And it would have been perfectly fair for God to say, everybody who ever lived on this planet, that's the penalty for their sin. But thank God that he sent Jesus. Because the smoke of your torment doesn't have to rise up for one minute if you come to Christ because he already endured the smoke of your torment when he hung on the cross and he, and he suffered God's wrath in six hours that Friday. Jesus paid it all so that you might be saved. So that I might be saved. So today you'll hear people saying, well, I just believe in annihilationism. You're not punished forever. 
At some point, you simply cease to exist. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Now, if that was the, what the Bible taught, I'd be like, well, that's not all that bad, you know. Apostle Paul said it this way. If there's no resurrection, then eat, drink, drink and be merry. Tomorrow you die. So big deal. So I didn't follow God. I didn't believe in Jesus. Did whatever I want, and I die, and then I cease to exist. But that's not what the Bible says. So when people tell you that, I can understand why people want to believe that. That's not what the Bible says. And then the other hideous thing that people are teaching is universalism. That in the end, everyone will be saved. Some of you may have heard of a man named Rob Bell. He was a very famous preacher, evangelical, 14,000 people in his church. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And in that book, he proposes that God wouldn't leave anybody in hell forever. Eventually, everyone in hell will repent, and God's love will win them over. That's not what the Bible says. And that's false teaching. Who wouldn't repent? Once they went to hell. That's the point. Jesus is inviting us to come to him now. You don't get a second chance. So if you're a believer, what is that going to look like? Well, I would encourage you. We don't need to be afraid to die. Fix your hope on eternal life. So, for example, think about this. When was the last time you sung about going to heaven? I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. You ever think about that? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and... Time shall be no more. You can look for me, for I'll be there. Just sing about heaven. Rejoice. Think about our loved ones that are there. Yeah, weep because we miss them. But don't weep for them. But also live your life meaningfully. Think about how much we waste of our lives. This is why when people tell me they're a Christian, I say, terrific, you've come to Jesus. You're sa I'm saved now. I said, do you tell your loved ones? They're like, oh, no, I, I would never tell them. What? Well, they might get upset. Well, if you see my house on fire, please tell me, even if I get upset. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If you believe that the Bible teaches that without Christ you go to hell, how could you not tell them? How much do you have to hate someone to, to hide the gospel from them? Now, this doesn't mean I want you to run home and say, preacher said you're going to hell. No, of course not. But to say, hey, you know what? We learned about heaven and hell. Can we talk about what the Bible says? Well, why do you believe in purgatory? Or why do you, why do you believe we all go? Can, can we look at what the Bible says sometime? And pray that more and more people will, will come to the Lord and believe the word of God. And so to live your life meaningful is to give to your church, to serve God, to take time to pray, to turn away from things that are sinful because you love Jesus, to live as a witness to your family, so, oh, I'm unhappy in my marriage. God didn't promise you a happy marriage. He wants you to have a holy marriage. And you can't be responsible how your spouse acts, but how you react. And, 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 and living to invest in your kids and in what matters and serving the Lord. Because there's a great day coming. And we're not here for ourselves. We saw we're here to exalt Christ and to bring others to the Lord. So if you're a believer, and you're like, wow, that's pretty... Yeah, me too. I'm not going, bad people. It, it, praise the Lord, though. We've got a great hope. Those of you that are brokenhearted, glory's coming. Hang in there. But what if you're an unbeliever? Can I give you a, a word of advice? Turn to the Lord now with all your heart.
Say, ah, you know, maybe someday I'll get around to it. You know, I want to do what I want for a while. And after all, if, if I were to go home and say, I changed my mind and I don't believe what we believe anymore, I'm following Jesus, what will my family think? And I think to myself, that ain't the question. You don't need to worry about what they think. You need to worry about what he thinks. And I'm not asking you to do something I didn't do. When I came home and told my family, hey, I, I became a born-again Christian, they're like, what? That's not what we believe. Jesus loves you and he died to save you. Will you come to him in faith? Why wouldn't you? You say, well, I, I don't want to live for God. I want to live for myself. That's a bad investment. Jesus says, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? So will you come to him this morning? You say, well, there's a lot I don't understand. You don't have to understand it all, but you need to understand this much. If you don't come to Jesus, his way, you're going to be in the lake of fire. But if you come to Jesus right now by faith and say, Lord, I believe, I believe every word of what the Bible says. I believe you died to pay for my sin, and I'm not worried about purgatory, or I'm not, I'm not going to try to do good deeds, or I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to just believe that you are my Lord and Savior. I'm going to receive you into my life. Boom! You're forgiven. And you can look forward to departing and being with Christ. And pray that God will spread this message to each one of us. Every Sunday we have close to 200 children come, praying that they'll grow up learning the word of God and believing it. These are exciting truths. They're sobering, but they're what the Bible teaches. And thank God, don't get all bent out of shape why God's not saving everyone. What I want to encourage you to do is praise God that he's saving anyone, and especially you or me. This is why I invite you to fall in love with the risen, crucified Lord Jesus who's the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that God will bless you this week as you live your life in anticipation of his coming. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've shown us in the Bible what happens after we die. And thank you that you're giving us a chance to get ready. And for some of you here this morning, you know you're not ready, but the Lord is speaking to you. So right there in your seat, why not say to Jesus, Lord, I want to follow you. I do believe. I'm not ashamed of what people will think of me. Thank you for dying on the cross to be my Lord and Savior. I accept you. If you're a Christian, if you're doubting and fearful, trust the promises of the gospel. Jesus paid it all. It's finished. If your heart is broken, Soon and very soon, you'll be at peace. If you've made a decision to follow Christ with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to pray for you. If today you you say, Pastor, I believe this and I want to follow Christ. Would you just raise your hand and look at me for a moment so I could pray for you? That's not what gets you to heaven, but Pastor, God spoke to me this morning and I want to become a Christ follower, a believer. Anybody at all? Don't be ashamed to just say, Yes, I believe that, and I want to follow Christ. Anyone at all? Christians, be praying that God's word will bear fruit, and that even if you're still thinking about it, we invite you to continue to explore this. Give no rest to your soul until you're at peace with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you that you died. We love you that you paid hell for us so we don't have to go there. We thank you that we're coming again, you're coming again, and that all of our sorrows and pain will be passed away. But while we're here, 
Help us to live meaningful lives for you. Every day matters. Every thought and action. Lord, we want to try to live it for you. Forgive us for all the times we fall short. Help us to trust and obey you so that when you come, as a church and as individuals and as families, we will be confident and full of joy. And for all of our loved ones who don't know the Lord, we pray for them that you'll give us wisdom and opportunities to gently talk to them about Christ. Awaken America, Lord. Awaken the people of Bucks County. Awaken those who sleep in dead churches that are no longer preaching from the Bible. Bring revival to the land, Lord, as people are turning to Christ and believing every word of God. Thank you for what you're doing here. Keep us from the evil one as we serve Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.